Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Jason Ash is the co-founder and CEO of Young Planet. After spending most of his career getting people to consume more food and drinks products, Jason decided to use his skills to do good in the world. As a parent of three, he became very aware of the amount of waste associated with kids' clothes and toys, and how many perfectly good items end up in landfill. So Jason set up Young Planet, a marketplace where parents can find, request and share kids' items for free. They want to create a world where value is placed on the longevity and reuse of a product, and how we minimise our impacts on the planet as consumers. With 150k users, 5,000 plus listed items and plans to expand globally, they are well on their way to building a global circular economy for children's products. Hey Jason, so look, as a, as a parent and Tech for Good fan, i um, really looking forward to recording this one today. Um, thank you for, for coming on the show. Hi Greg, thank you. I've uh, been looking forward to this. Awesome. So look, um, yeah, I was, I was doing my research, I was looking at your kind of background and career and obviously you'd spent a lot of time in FMCG, held some pretty senior roles like GM, CMO, MD in large well-known businesses. So the career anonymy actually seems to be the current venture you have. Um, and I just wondered if you can talk me through I guess the, the the thought process or like anything that happened that kind of caused you to pivot from that, I guess, kind of like successful corporate career track you're on trajectory versus what you do now, which is running a startup in, you know, the tech for good world. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a question I ask myself quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I've been working 25 years, uh, say around the world with some well-known FMCG companies. I mean, the last 10, 12, 13 years, I've been involved in smaller kind of PE back stuff. But you're right. I mean, it's it's packaged goods. It's typically food and drink, both of which I enjoy, enjoy personally immensely. Um, and, you know, I started in, I was a finance grad at Unilever and then into marketing on the sort of Marmite, love it or hate it stuff and kind of pinned my ears back. So I uh, had some fantastic experiences, lived in, you know, the, the US for six years, France, Turkey, did a, a quick role in Russia of all places, which was fascinating. Um, and then, uh, sort of progressively, uh, got involved in smaller businesses, both as an investor or as an NED and in two cases as a kind of non-exec chair. And one of those I kind of stepped into was a drinks business, um, in 2013 when I came back from Russia and kind of had an exit with a public business, uh, in 2009 in the U S and we led this to exit in 2017. So there was a huge, um, inflection point. Um, cause it's quite hard work running a small business, particularly a growing business that requires a lot of working capital. We raise money and we, and I'm sure a lot of your guests will be familiar with that. And I'm, I say I'm not unfamiliar with it running a tech startup either, but it's, um, it takes quite a lot out of you. And, uh, yeah, that was 2017. Um, and you get to the point where, you know, you, 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 you know, I was pretty good actually in some cases and lucky probably more often than not, uh, around getting people to eat and drink more, um, progressively got involved in um, sort of using my powers for good a bit, if you like. So I was a big sponsor of the deposit return scheme up in Scotland um, and just progressively got involved in other things. But there was a clear stop when we sold the business. And it's like, okay, well, I have this set of experiences and skills and I have these things that I want to do. And how can I use these things perhaps better 
than just getting people to consume more. And I, you know, I do think that's, it wasn't quite a light bulb moment, but it was definitely an incoming tide for a number of years. Um, and, and that's actually where young planet came out of it. It, it came out as reflective of our lifestyle, which got, you know, with children, I think, as you know, you're a parent, um, you know, 90% of the things they have, they don't use more often than not when they're young, they're more interested in the box and the wrapping than the thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, they just, they don't have the same quirkiness that we have around how much something costs and whether it's new and, you know, all those things came together and, you know, it wasn't a quick business plan to write because we, we spent quite a lot of time trialing it and beta testing, but that's, that's how it came about. So it definitely is a pivot. It's definitely a move, but actually it's quite consistent with how I felt about things progressively, you know, as you grow and mature, particularly as that you're, you know, a father and when you, when you get a bit older. Yeah. No, and I, I can empathize with that. Like I've yeah, been in the industry, which I've worked in for like 15 years and started out very much kind of, I'm not saying this is what you said, but for me personally, it was very like financially motivated for the first like five, eight years. And then you get to a point of security and then you realize actually that doesn't really sustain me and that's not really actually making me happy. And then it's finding something that actually gives you that, which for me is you're working in tech for good space. Um, we're going to obviously chat quite a lot about Young Planet, but before we do, I just want to kind of explore the impact area that you work, you, you focus on. Um, I just want to start with actually, like for, for those not familiar with the term, could you explain what the circular economy is? I mean, <laughs> you you could ask a hundred people that same question, <laughs> and get a hundred different answers. Um, but in my version of it is because I kind of, uh, and this comes from you know the business. Um, the last sort of package business I was in where the, the whole ethos of the business was about simplicity. Um, you know, the you know, circularity can mean many, many different things in our, our version of it, because we're consumer centric, it's about reuse um, and repurposing. And, you know, I do think we are uh, most of the industrial world, uh, most of the commercial world focuses on supply chain um, and logistics and sort of the input measures, if you like, um, I think, you know, you can go, one of my, <clears throat> one of my advisory board is, um, uh, an academic and, uh, I myself have done some postgrad at LSE in a similar space and, and you can't get a decent, you can't get a quick answer from them either, by the way, on what circular <laughs> economy is, but what circular economy is. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's akin to sort of post-war economic rationing where people may do amend at a consumer level. So you, what, can, what use can you get out of things? You have limited resources because you can't afford to buy things. I think there's a bit of nostalgia in the consumer world around reuse, uh, quite rightly, because it's familiar and you can look back on the 50s and 60s and the 70s for that matter. And, you know, the 70s are all too present in certain ways today as we go about our daily lives. Um, but it's environmental pressure or was up until probably the last year and uh, with a combined economic pressure on top of that. It, it, it's for us, it's common sense. You know, as I say, like I have three sons, 90% of what they have, they don't use. Uh, they need and want things because there's attrition and obsolescence built into what they do. Um, so ours is a marketplace where you list things for free and receive things for free. Um, you know, we're effectively digitizing hand-me-downs. Um, but it's a complicated answer. And I don't, you know, I don't, if, I mean, I think the whole, the general pressure, uh, on, um, on the environment, carbon consumption, you know, there's a whole long list of things at a household level, which is what I've always been involved in, you know, from day one of my career. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by why people do things sometimes in their interests and sometimes not. Um, you know, if it were as simple as not eating meat or not getting on a plane, we'd have done something, we'd have done that. Uh, it is a vastly complicated 
area, but there are, and actually people feel quite emasculated by it at a household level because, you know, if you've got 80 grand to spend, you can go and buy an electric car and then as many people will tell you that was the wrong decision as it was the right, you know, it's just not simple. But if you've got kids and starting at home with us and, you know, the hand-me-down process is something people are familiar with, you know, we set up Young Planet effectively to digitize and scale common sense must be good activity, i.e. you're not buying something new that's been manufactured you're not throwing something away that's perfectly usable. Um, you know, the half-life on an IKEA table, plastic is something like 320 years. It doesn't need to be thrown away. And the people using an IKEA table, i.e. the person sat in the seat strapped down making a mess, um, doesn't really care whether it's first or second hand. And I, I do think at a consumer level, you know, there's the sort of <clears throat> consumerism 1.0, consumerism 2.0, where people are buying and selling secondhand things. There is a third element to this that will develop over the next five to 10 years, which is where you're almost, you're not going quite back to the sort of Venetian bonquettes where there was trading and exchanges, but you know, money doesn't have to be at the center of it. But our entire commercial world and status is about consumption. And the proxy for that is buying. Um, that has to change. I was sort of wandering off the circularity point, but it's, it's our version of circularity, if that makes sense. You know, we like to lionize things, things ultimately aren't as reductive as you know people think and the status should come from how little you've bought and how much you've kept out of landfill and how much you've continued to use as opposed to you know your new Bugatti or whatever it is people aspire to these days yeah and it's so true like as, <laughs> as a parent of, of two um yeah I actually really enjoy the Christmas time because it's a chance for us to kind of give away that we, we just have so much surplus when it comes to toys and we know there's like even more coming even though you tell all the family and friends like don't buy anymore you, you know there's going to be heaps of it come christmas day um but it's yeah it's, it's a pain point because like um some not it didn't actually run this year but there was like a facebook group where it was like kind of you could give toys to people that needed them that, that couldn't afford them um but sadly the person that ran that locally for me was wasn't doing it this year so it was actually just facebook marketplace we used for a lot of like trying to give stuff away um but i wouldn't say it's the yeah. best experience um Obviously, you're focused very much on the household. I don't know if you can give much insight into this, but I assume there's the same issue at like a retailer level. Like there has to be toys and stock and kids' clothes that goes out of fashion and end of season. Can you can you give much insight? Is that like is there a big problem there as well in terms of like waste? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there are other. I mean, we obviously there are only two. I would say at any scale, kind of um, proper free to use marketplaces that that lead with specificity and that's kind of in the UK and that's ourselves and Olio. And you know, mm. they're a great business for different reasons. Um, but they focus on retail waste with food and, and ultimately food is reductive. Um, you know, we're on physical items and parents and kids in terms of our vanguard. Um, but we do work with corporates um, because there are there's seasonal waste I mean, the irony of this, or not the irony, I think or the surprising fact when you dig into these things, like fashion is in many ways, way ahead. Um, even, you know, the advent of things like Bista Village, which is a mecca to old school consumption, if you like. But that started with discards and post-seasonal uh, clothing that was sold at a discount. And um, and the value of that um, to consumers on the kind of 1.0 model, if you like, is, is, is writ large. It's a huge, huge chain across Europe now. Um, there are lots of fashion resellers. There's lots of, you know, the, the clothes that are vintage, 
um, can be seen as more valuable than new, not just because of the waste element, actually because of the sort of probably exclusivity element of it. And there's a belief that things were made differently back in the day. Um, you know, we're talking to, I've already mentioned a couple, we went, we were at COP26 with IKEA. Um, we're talking to big uh, network retailers a- again about, you know, there is, there's one enormous business that has, you know, a, is online e-commerce that has a return structure um, that's sequenced all the way from immediately back to resale to a certain point where the labor cost of relabeling and repackaging and making it safe. And this is particularly acutely the case with children's stuff because reselling, you know, there's increased liability there in terms of soft exposure, um, where the labor cost and prep cost is just more than, you know, frankly, burning or burying it. And, and that's horrific in the round for us on the planet, if you like. Uh, not to be too histrionic about it, but, um, you know, there definitely is an issue. The The problem conceptually that I think big retailers are certainly getting their heads around at a group level, less so at a store level, is that if you, you know, we have, you know, we have at any one point, there's five, 6,000 things on the app. Um, you know, the most expensive thing we have given away last year was a silver cross pram at just over 700 quid that had never been used. And somebody was very happy to get that for free, obviously. Um, but we have a lot of buggies and, um, you know, buggies are things that, you know, if you one, two, three, four, however many children you're willing to sign up for or lucky enough to have, um, you know, you get to a point where a buggy doesn't, looks a bit odd with a 12 year old in it, right? So you don't have a use for a buggy. It takes up a lot of space. So, but if you, you know, if you then, if you then, if a retailer that's selling buggies tries to embrace that uh, at a group level, which is a good thing because it's about waste and supporting local community, you go to a local store level, and if they sell buggies, they're they're selling one less buggy because they've got one for free in a concession. So, it's not. Uh, I think it comes back to this transition, and it needs to be led by consumers because ultimately there are shareholders and businesses that manufacture, distribute, and sell things. Um, but if people are more demanding of things with longevity, um, you know, one of the things we're working with, uh, with a European based business, we, 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 we go through a lot of this because we're launching in the States later this year. Um, but we're, you know, if you pick up a pack of sandwiches or a wrap or something at a petrol station or a charging station, wherever you get a lunch, if you're on the go, you can very quickly look at it and see traffic lights as to sugar, fat, salt, whatever it may be. You know, physical things should have something like that on. They absolutely have to have something like that on because it's really complicated to understand. And and to to the point around retailing, you know, they are the sort of bastions of new and sell. And so, you know, there has to be a shift in terms of demand at which the supply will follow around things that are not one and done. And um, you know, you mentioned Christmas. You know, the run up to Christmas. I think, you know, we've not been going long enough to see this transition over time, but the run-up to Christmas actually is quite a quiet time for us. There's still some, not strange historically, but I think things that will be seen as strange in the future around, I don't want to give someone a second-hand gift. Um, but actually some of our corporate sponsors, for example, have done, they did their office Secret Santa on Young Planet, which is a great idea. So nice, yeah. instead of being forced to spend 10 quid on some tat, you actually go into your home and you work out what they might like and you use the app to transact on it, i.e. someone gets it for free and it's more visible that way because everyone else can see it, et cetera, and so forth. So it's just subtle differences in centers. Post-Christmas is a very big time for us because um, families, as I'm sure you're aware, it's not just the packaging. It's just the amount of stuff everybody has post-Christmas. You know, or, or not everybody, but you know, the, there is usually a glut 
or a guilt uh, around post-Christmas sort of um, clutter. And, um, you know, the new year is a time to refresh that. We actually put a survey out into market immediately after Christmas, and it's it's just a little bit under half of UK adults feel very guilty about, you know, the waste they create at Christmas. So, um, but yeah, the retail angle needs to move. It needs We need to demand it. We need to be specific. Uh, and actually, it needs to come down a level of complexity um, and uh, and common sense. And that's actually what we try and push. Other other businesses like us try and push that as well. Like, you, if it's been made and it's usable, that should be a cool thing. Yeah. And I was just wondering if you could actually explain, like, when when a family do chuck a toy out, chuck out kids' clothing, and it goes in the bin. What is the actual impact that then that has on the planet? Like, where does that go, and and then what's the actual impact that has on the planet? Well, it, it's it, I don't. The, the answer is not clear. Uh, to be really frank with you, I mean, there are lots of versions of that answer. Um, you know, there are. You know, we work with some charities. We're, we we're seen. You know, sadly, it seems a little bit of a threat sometimes to some of the sort of charity elements of it in terms of offflow for us. You think about what you do if you give something to a charity shop; they are trying to monetize what you have to raise money for the charity. Uh, and there are lots of good works going on in charity shops, but you know not everything gets resold because it's not resaleable, and then it goes somewhere. Quite often, it can go into banks. Quite often, it can be you know containerized up and sent to other countries. You know, a lot of the time, it just doesn't get used and goes into landfill. I mean, you, I think um, we live in a similar part of the world, and you know, we're lucky we have um, green bins and boxes and all sorts of things, and we very diligently sort. You know, so not just clothes. You know, we diligently sort everything. You know, the truth of the matter is, you know, it's not far off. Three quarters of all that sorting just gets buried in the Far East and, and containerized up. And it's where, you know, you can buy offsets to these things and you can pay for less local impact, but it's a real problem. And and this is, you know, go back to my point around, you know, COP26, you know, w- which was last year up in Glasgow. We didn't go this year. Um, you know, as we, when we started, my background is corporate. Um, and it was just very familiar with the corporate sort of events I used to go to. It was very insular. It was very specific to things that would work for the attendees, if you like. And it wasn't addressing the problem in the round. I mean, not least they've now had 27 of them and they seem to be going backwards the last couple as opposed to forward. You know, it's, it has to be down to consumers to demand more. And I do think, you know, um, we have a cost of living crisis, which is a word that people throw out there, but you know, people are struggling. Everybody is struggling. Everything has gone up. Um, that is a compound issue to the waste problem. And, um, you know, I genuinely, there's a lot of bad things going on in the world at the minute, but I genuinely believe, and this sounds histrionic, but I think it's true. I don't think there is a bigger good versus evil battle at the minute than overconsumption of the world's resources to the point of its destruction. And it's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a protester in that sense. Um, and I'm open to all sorts of views on it, but it's just writ large. You could, the ha- and, and again, I focus on things that we can affect and the way we live is you know, very specific around creating as little waste as possible and buying as little as possible. But it's still, when you start looking into it and you start understanding where, where the green bins go, it, you know, it's, it's quite a wake up call when you dwell. Yeah, no, definitely. And I know like personally within my household, we've been on a journey these like last few years in terms of 
making changes, trying to trying to be more sustainable, have less waste in the house. But it's hard, and, it, and like you say, it's really complicated. Um, I just wanted to come back to kind of that journey of the young planet. Um, so when um, you, you mentioned, obviously, like the your personal kind of transition career wise and um, setting up young planet with a concept that you were beta testing. Can you share like, what was that real, like early stage initial concept and, and what did that beta testing look like? Yeah. I mean, I'm a history grad, uh, finance trained kind of marketing specialist. So, you know, I struggle with email passwords, let alone building an app. So the first thing is you've got to, you know, you've got to test it. You've got to test the concept. So we did, um, if you read all the books on marketplaces, you know, platform economics, Andrew Chen, whoever it must be seeing, you know, some really excellent stuff written out there. Um, uh, all that's been captured out there in terms of case studies, you know, you, you start small and you get something that works and then you go bigger. And there's different views on how you do that. We actually, you know, went to, went into Hackney in London because we thought that was about as far away from our kind of uh, environment as possible. We knew very few people there. And we did um, like a physical event, some uh, consumer groups, some core groups, discussions. And then ultimately we got someone to, you know, build an app and we launched it to 100 people and just talk, 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 talk to them about what they were doing. And, um, you know, two or three versions later, we went went to the whole of Hackney and then four boroughs in London and seven boroughs in London. And then we kind of deviated from the book because you're supposed to keep going in sort of concentric rings and atomic cells and just experimented with some ads because, uh, you know, there's a the CPI you know, cost per install of the app um, is something that we're, you know, that our top of the funnel is ludicrously efficient. Uh, middle of the funnel is harder, and that's with the value equation and what's going on. But luckily our corporate partners help with that and incentivize people to list. But we just sort of spread nationally um, and um, and kept going. So, you know, it, but it, it is an odd thing to start something that you – you effectively know nothing about and having you know when i was in russia i had four manufacturing plants with five thousand people working for me i didn't i didn't have to know how the cake or the chocolate line worked but there were enough people there that were incentivized to do a good job to do that it's different when you're you know hiring contract guns to do it it's it's a tough journey and it costs money is the other thing you know if i if i were a programmer i could do it but i wouldn't have the experience around consumer strategy that i have to to add to the other side of the business so it's hard um, but you do get to the point where you just think oh, this has to, someone has to do something like this and you just find a way. And uh, that was going to be my next question actually, because like, you know, at heart I'm a tech recruiter. So I'm always interested in like tech and how that, that works and how, how people go about building a, a, a product. Uh, it sounds like you, you outsource if you're using contractors, like what made you go down that route? Was it, I mean, that's still expensive, but it's also expensive to hire people internally as well, full time. Was, was it like convenience or, yep. or just actually like budget? And it was just like get a prototype built externally and then we can bring it in-house if we want to. Uh, I think it's probably the latter, although we we still have like a nearshore approach to our tech team. Like our devs are in Zagreb in Croatia, uh, very much incentivized within the business. But, you know, I mean, I... You know, when I was the CMO of Dr. Pepper in the States, we had a marketing budget of, I think, something like, I was talking about this the other day, there's something like $220 million just on media. It was ridiculous. So for me, I was familiar with outsourcing work because you don't have, you know, you you brief an agency, you're very tight around a brief. There's you know, specific planning that you pull into that and then you manage that. So for me, I, ironically, I was more familiar with managing a third party through a process like that than I was recruiting somebody from a completely different, you know, experience world to my own. 
so for me it was quite familiar i mean it's not it's not the same <laughs> because they are different people yeah. uh, different sectors and i mean that with a lot of you know love and respect but um you know for me it was more familiar financially you variabilize the cost so you know we were lucky you know we did a yeah i i, I put some money in we pulled together an advisory board through an SEIS round that we overfunded and um you know we could afford to do it as well so um we will we we've got some really exciting tech coming this year um you know from a from a financial point of view and we will have you know resource that's properly internalized pretty soon um but so far that's been our model but it's gradually gotten closer to us if that makes sense yeah it's a to outsource but for me variableize the cost i was familiar with the process and i didn't have a clue about how to you know write a line of code to be honest <laughs> neither would i <laughs> um no that all makes sense um if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you will be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Although I have to say, like with um, the job platform that I'm involved in, um, the no-code solutions are pretty fantastic now, actually, how much you can do with tech without actually having to be a techie. It's quite impressive. But um, anyway, that, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, so in terms, of, in terms of your revenue model, obviously you're, you're a for good and a for profit business, which a uh, massive fan of that model, like tying good with, with obviously like a running a, a profitable business. You talked a little bit earlier yeah. about like, you know, working with employers. Can, can you just run through like the different revenue, like models and streams that you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, firstly, um, I absolutely don't think, um, for good and for profit are in conflict. And actually, on the consumer side, I think, you know, the bigger you are, the more impact you can have. And, yep. you know, the, the more financially viable you are, you know, equates to the same thing. So, um, you know, I think there are wonderful marketplaces that, you know, you mentioned Facebook Marketplace. Obviously, that's not, I'm not saying it's not for good, but it's a definitely a for-profit business, right? But it, but if you take Freegal in the UK or FreeCycle more, nas- more internationally, you know, they are they are not for profits, and um, you know they struggle with the consumer interface. They struggle with liquidity, and they, you know, FreeCycle's got nine million plus users, but it's not the liquidity kind of isn't there because they can't fund it. Um, and uh, and more generally speaking, marketplaces I think that are broad suffer from the sort of impotence of generality. If you like, you know, you, you must start somewhere where there is an appetite uh, or an insight that works. Um, so for us, you know, ultimately we're free to use for a consumer, free to list, free to receive. Um, you know, getting free stuff is great. Keeping stuff at a landfill is great. Saving money is great. Decluttering and knowing where it goes is great. Um, getting rid of something quickly is great. So you mentioned Facebook mar- uh, Marketplace or if you take any of the secondhand resellers like Gumtree, eBay, whatever it might be, it takes quite a long time and there's some haggle and there's some money involved you know, the average tenure on our app of something that gets listed is, is less than three days. So you can declutter, you declutter in bulk, and actually you link into, um, you know, the shared experience of parenting. And, um, you know, so one of the things that I think defines our um, top of the funnel, if you like, of people coming into the app is that, 
you know, when you go through school, university work, whatever your network is, you get narrower and then everything blows up at the school gates and the world changes. And actually none of us really know what all that's like. And I'm utterly convinced our parents don't tell us really what it's like because otherwise we probably wouldn't do it. But, you know, um, you know, there's that community thing around there. So within that community, we want to, you know, protect and make the, and sort of not put anything behind a paywall. So we do rely on several different things. We have a kind of a FinTech option coming later on this year. But at the moment, it's very much around um, uh, kind of like a B2B SaaS project in the back of it. So corporate communities can use it for other things. They can use it for sustainability comms. And again, that's semi-closed from the front end. Um, but it works quite well. I mean, we've just started to monetize uh, in the middle of last year. We also have um, some really great brand partners that deliver things for our consumers. So we currently, currently have a, a wonderful campaign going on from Ecova with a little miss wasteless uh, ebook so there's you know pop-ups and ads is the wrong word because they're they're offering a free download of a, an ebook but there's some cool messages in there as well so for us this transition you know there's a lot of the, the 2.0 element of it of reselling is you know come thick and fast in the two three years that we've been operating um we still think the 3.0 thing is there uh, and available and there are very few entities around the world that are going after that but that's about it's it's ultimately in the stakeholders of the commercial economy's interest to support longevity of their products they will be able to charge more for that and they will get more support as consumers you know work their way through it um so we have, in fact, we have brand partners and employee benefits if that makes sense yeah and, and will it always remain like free for the consumer is that like kind of the core of the offering from your yeah. perspective or you, yeah yeah, I, and, and that's, you know, that's not um, that's not because we want to be a needs-based platform. It, it's actually because we want to make it as simple as possible to do stuff. So actually we'll, you know, we, we have with the brand partners and things um, that we had last year, there were, you know, tangible incentives to listings. So your listings get a voucher, whatever it might be. And you have to be selective about that because, you know, you don't, the, the extremes don't work. But as long as it's a voucher that our, our consumers, you know, there's over 150,000 people on the app, as long as there's a voucher that people would appreciate, that is a thank you for listing something for free on the app because you're, you know, you're foregoing and there's a, a, a money, if you like, and there's an opportunity cost for doing that. Lots of intangible benefits and some tangible. But ultimately, it's nice to, to sort of extend that loop of value. Um, and I think what we have coming this year, which I can talk about later on in the year, but uh, unfortunately can't now, um, I think really um, defines that circular finance loop and enables um, bigger entities to get involved in encouraging good behavior, both to in and of itself to encourage good behavior, but actually to reward them over time as well, the actual entities themselves. So that's it's very exciting for us. It's a, it's a real big step towards this 3.0 model that I've been referencing. Awesome. And uh, I, I want to chat to you a little bit about funding for a moment. So I, I think you've had a few different, um, not quite rounds, but like uh, versions of funding coming through. But I think the main one was a crowdfunding round, which was just under 1 million that came in. Um, was crowdfunding like the obvious choice for like a fairly substantial round? Because you, you build brand advocates. It's also like a great validation point. And obviously it's, it's raising as well. Um, yeah, it would, it'd be great to hear about the funding so far and, and why you went for the crowdfunding route. Yeah, we did a small private round before that to sort of fund all the beta tests and see if we had something. Uh, and then we did two tranches of Crowdcube to, yeah, just over a million. Um, I mean, it's the, it's, it's a, 
natural choice is the right way to describe it for you know for a consumer based advocate based app if you like excuse me <laughs> um it is quite hard work um and it's you know in some ways it's not the most efficient way to do it um we looked at um we teed up for quite a big institutional kind of pre-a post-seed depending on who you are uh, or how you measure those things um in q2 last year and we were very successful in getting people into the data room and then we got to the point you know midway through the summer that the world was changing I think it's coming back a bit, actually, to be fair, and we might reload that again. But, um, but yeah, it was good to talk to people. Um, I think the way those platforms, and there are several of them, we use Crowdcube, um, set themselves up under a nominee structure. You know, you might have hundreds and hundreds of shareholders, but the vast majority are under the nominee structure, so it's not complicated from an admin perspective. Um, you know, from a founder perspective, there's a really nice um, kind of funnel you go into as it relates to the legalities of board resolutions and issuing stock and all those sorts of things so it is laid out for you but on the account of that it does take some time you know and you know more often than not i think you know a lot of the funding that you get from it is not necessarily net incremental to what you would get if you didn't do it um and the ones that make a make big successes out of it actually turn up to the raise with the majority of it done um or what they need or with singular you know, big single backers that everybody then jumps on a bandwagon. So I think, I don't know how they've been getting on in the last year. As I say, we did ours nearly two years ago now. Um, and, um, you know, the world was a different place then. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the founder of Grubby on um, a few weeks back and um, they they went down the crowdfunding room. He said, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and actually they'd, they'd secured most of the funding before we even went out, went onto the crowdfunding platform. So it's probably not quite the way it, the impression it sometimes gives. I'd agree with that. Final bit of this section, I just wanted to ask about um, uh, the future um, for Young Planet and like what what you, some of the big things, the roadmap in the next couple of years that you're excited about, the, the things that you are allowed to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... So I think that this year is going to be a transformational year for us. So we've got um, we've got a big market launch um, with funding alongside that in the states, which is very exciting. You know, I've lived and worked in the states for six years. You know, actually, the genesis of Young Planet came from you know um, uh, 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 <laughs> a walk after lunch with my eldest. Um, we were living in New York and we went for lunch in a place called Montclair in New Jersey, which is kind of a classic bridge and tunnel thing. Had a bit too much wine, went for a walk before we got on a train to come back and Freddie, uh, we walked past the yard sale and Freddie saw this big red truck, radio flyer, piece of Americana, which was fantastic and um, started hooting around in it. I thought, oh, we've got to buy this now. And, you know, talking to the guy, this is 2010. Uh, the guy said, like, it's so cool to see him using it, just have it. And I, generally, I think that was the genesis of Young Planet. But so the US market is, it, you know, it's not about launching in the US. It's about parsing out probably 15, 18 discrete places and launching separately there. So we've got, you know, US financing and, and coming there. We've got an offer within the app that we'll be launching later this year, which again, I think um, rebalances significantly the value equation. Um, you know, so looking at Young Planet, it's really, it's really, it's really hard to think it's a bad idea. Like digitizing and scaling hand me downs, like who's going to disagree with that, right? It's, yeah. it's a good thing. Uh, getting stuff for free when you're feeling the pinch and you want to do the right thing is pretty cool as well. Actually, giving something for free is a harder 
is a harder thing. So incentivizing that in a good and a positive way is something that we've got a solution for later this year. So that's hugely exciting for me. Um, and then it's a question of, you know, where next? Uh, we're quite a skeleton team. Um, we have some part-timers and we have a, a small handful of full-timers. Um, you know, the, the team will, the team should grow threefold by the end of the year. Um, and there's a lot going on. So I think it is a transformational year for us. I yeah, mean, yeah. In, in the, with, you know, to be very blunt with you, we planned last year to be a transformational year, but we didn't raise the money we wanted to in the terms that we thought it was acceptable. So we just, we changed the plan. Um, and, you know, there are, I think it was Reed Hoffman talks about this, you know, there must always be a plan A and several plans B. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we've, we've, as the team knows, we rifle through a lot of plans, plans B. Um, so yeah, I, I, we're, we're excited about this year. Yeah, no, it sounds like a big year. Uh, and wish you were the best. Um, so my, the kind of next section actually is just trying to chat to you a little bit about, um, you know, more with you as a founder personally and some of the things that you've kind of gone through and dealt with. Um, the first one I actually want to talk about the dynamic with, uh, you and your co-founder, because obviously, um, you've co-founded with your, your wife, if I got that right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I just wanted to actually like, is that, is that like actually quite straightforward, more straightforward than people would think? Because obviously there's implicit trust. You've known each other for years. Um, you were both very successful business people as well. And is it just a case of actually just creating some boundaries between like work and personal life? Or has it been a bit more muddy than that? And it's taken a bit of work to get it to a place where it's <laughs> working nicely. Well, I mean, Emma's going to listen to this, so I'll be nice, but no, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, it's like everything, actually. Um, obviously, there's implicit trust within that, and um, you know, like any marriage, you know, mar- life generally marriages aren't as smooth running as you think they are until you're in them. But work, marriage, parenting, like communi- more communication is always better. And so, just talking about stuff is, is really, really key. I'm being honest. Um, we do parse out the, you know, the different elements, so. I mean, I joke about this, but this is a real thing. Like, you know, early days and when we're into new markets or new communities, I look a bit odd in a mum's chat group. Um, Emma looks a lot better in a mum's chat group than I do. Um, and she's familiar with it and, and she's lived it. You know, I've, you know, not not entirely unselfishly, you know, spent 15 years plus in corporate careers where I was working, you know, ridiculous hours and away half the week and all the rest of it. So, she, you know, she has had her own career. She's balanced that with home life, with raising, you know, three boys and um, is very familiar with the, the, the insights of what works and what doesn't. So from a, from a usage, from a user uh, experience perspective and a user interaction perspective, she's extremely good. And, um, and, you know, my comms, I'm good at briefs and planning and strategy and modeling but you know the the subtleties of you know messaging is something that is is not my forte, but it happens to be what she's very good at as well. So, but it, it's not. I mean, and it evolves over time. You know, we do when we had, you know, when we had um, you know, hundred just over hundred people in Hackney. Uh, I was involved in it a lot. We used to do lunch and learns with everyone who was doing it once every, I think it was every three weeks in the end we did it just to talk to them and see what was going on. We'd both be involved in that. Um, it's not as simple as I'm the business guy and she's the consumer guy at all. We do, you know, we, it does overlap and we do different things and we bounce things off each other. Um, we don't work in the same room. I think that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. No. Um, you know, you have to, you just parse it out 
and keep talking. Um, and, um, and you find out, you find out a lot about your relationship actually in doing it because there's, there's pressure. Yeah. 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 I can imagine. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd be brave enough <laughs> to do it, but, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it, if anything, it'll push you just to improve communication channels between, between the two of you. Yeah. I mean, I think just to add on that though, I was just saying pretty much everybody bar one that works on young planet at the minute has come to it from a user basis. So, you know, um, you know, quite often people are using the app and will write in sometimes constructively, but sometimes less constructively about what we're getting wrong. And that's happened in two cases where we said, okay, well, come and help us then. And they've gone, yeah, we'd love to. And they've, they've come and joined. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just a question of communication. Yeah. Hundred percent, and then uh, I know you've got a huge year planned, so I'm sure this will probably change if I ask this question in years time. But like so far in the Young Planet journey, like what's been your like proudest moment so far? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing we feel, I mean, we're still going, uh, <laughs> which, which is you know, I think the you know, you've just got to find a way and there have been times when it's been very difficult. Um, so we're still going, I, that I do like the bit that always gets me up is hearing from people, from consumers. And sometimes we do that in a manufactured way in the sense that we'll do groups and invite people to do things. But more often than not, we just get notes from people about how cool, how cool it is to receive a certain amount of things. I mean, there was quite a lot of press before Christmas. There were several families that, uh, we'll call it were pulled up in the press of you know saving thousands of pounds through young planet there was a woman whose son was two and that she bought something like four things other than the essentials and everything else would come through young planet and those are really cool things and um you know it's as i say it's a mix of needs basis and i think increasingly wants basis although there are specific pockets that you know both but the the desire to have less of an impact and this insight that I alluded to earlier on around like it just you, nobody what do you do like you have to you have to you have to eat you have to move you have to work you have to it's 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 part of our daily lives uh, consumption that is um, actually you know what can people do well this is helping people to operate and raise families in a way that has less impact and we get a lot of messages around that and that's very cool actually. Yeah, no, I can totally imagine. Um, and, and when it comes to uh, building like a tech for good business, and, and we've touched a little bit on this earlier, but I just want to get your opinion. Like, what, what's the most important thing to get right? Or, or maybe I'll give you the option you can pick two things. So, I mean, that could be like, you know, bringing the right people, having a really clear mission and vision that like you can rally people around. It could be getting the right commercial model, which ties in directly with having a positive impact. Like what for you is like the most important one or two things to get right? I think there are all of the above and dozens more things that <laughs> need to be right in order to be successful. But I think uh, if you think about like personal traits, you just have to be brutally honest with things that are, you have to be able to either have to do it yourself or have advisors or colleagues or co-founders that can be brutal around what is not working because you know, it, it's, you, you have to move, you have to pivot, you have to react and, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not easy to focus on the things that aren't going right or the things that aren't, that aren't going as well as you thought uh, or aren't going at all. And, um, and so you have to do more, you have to protect cash, you know, the sort of first rule of fight club of 
you know, don't North as rural businesses don't run out of cash. Um, and you have to be, you have to be brutally honest with yourself about what's working, what's not, and what you can afford to do. And that, that involves hiring, firing, pivoting, closing, opening, punting, borrowing, <laughs> you know, all of the above. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge mix of things, but being really, you know, didactic about what is actually promising and what's not, as opposed to, you know, we've never, and a lot of my corporate career actually is around innovation. And um, to a certain extent, when you have access to you know, massive resource, you can you can almost build it and they will come. You can't do that on a bootstrap startup because you, you'll, you, you might be lucky and get it right first time. But I, I think that's an extremely rare occurrence. And even those people that say they got it right first time, I suspect there are quite a few times beforehand before they got it right, and that ends yeah. up being a bit of a story, just because it's the world changes, right? Um, so being honest with yourself around what 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 is working and what is not is probably the single biggest thing. And is that something that comes naturally to you, uh, or is that something like you know, like you just said in your previous life, you had so much budget, if it kind of went wrong, you, you kind of throw more at it, or like it would work eventually. You don't have that luxury now. So, so is it been like a lesson in humility, or is that just something actually you've always been that type of person? And welcome the the brutal <laughs> need to hear a feedback. Uh, I think I, I joked. Uh, one of my advisable was a guy that first gave me my first job, um, and he's a mentor of mine, an absolute genius. Um, and uh, I remember our first interview where he actually swore at me. But um, <laughs> I um, and there's a whole other story around that. But and it wasn't a nasty swear. It was just he swears a lot. Um, but um, I even, you know, even 25 plus years ago, I, I think I'm, I think I'm, uh, I don't think I have rejection issues in the sense that particularly when I'm working with people or for people or people are working for me, if somebody disagrees, I don't anchor, uh, my natural tendency is to find out why they disagree. And, uh, cause I'm, you know, more often than not, I'm wrong. And if they know something different or have a different experience or there's a different fact, I'm quite happy to move. So I don't anchor in things and I don't have rejection issues. Uh, but I'm human and, you know, I want stuff to work. And sometimes when it doesn't, you need help understanding when it's not because you will, it's when you, particularly in the startup world, you, you know, you, you put a lot into these things and, um, and it's hard because sometimes you have to, you have to, it's different to what you thought. So you have to keep going. You have to find a way, keep going and keep appraising constantly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important skills of like an entrepreneur or founder that you could possibly have is that humility and, and constantly striving to, to improve it and not taking it personally and, and just keep moving. Um, final kind of question was for me was just around actually hiring. Um, I know you said you're going to 3X the team, I think by the end of this year. Um, when it comes to hiring for new people, like what, what do you look for in people? Are there, are there particular traits or anything you look for like to get people, like for people to like stand out and you're like, wow, yeah, we have to hire that person. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of sort of things I've used. Um, I think the phrase is borrowed with pride from one of my corporate roles. I just stolen it. Um, that we used to have a um, we used to have a, a potential matrix at CSAB, and uh, I've defaulted to it quite a bit. Um, so this is the structural answer. I mean, the the emotive answer is uh, I just I think curiosity is a, a lack of ego and defensiveness are the two things that, I mean that's three things but they're kind of linked but you know people need to be curious and people need to 
uh, get as close to no rejection issues because there's not enough time for people to anchor yeah. in something that's not demonstrably working. But we the the matrix we used to use were was judgment, drive, and influence. And judgment was basically intellect. Drive was this need to get things done, and influence was the ability to bring people with you. So we've got a very young uh, young team at Young Planet, and um, and a, another business I'm on the board of also has a very young team. And you back kind of intellect and the need to get things done, even if people are a little bit rough around the edges around bringing people with them. Because ultimately, if they're bright and they need to get things done, they'll work out. If they need people with them, they'll get people with them as well. Uh, you know, the extremes don't work within that, but there is, it's a mix of metrics and, and feel. I mean, bluntly, also when you've got very small teams and you're running very fast and it's, you know, it's, it's on a knife edge financially, you know, sometimes perfect, you know, sometimes good enough is good enough as it relates to people. And, and that's the honest truth of it, to be honest. And um, um, we're very lucky that we have an exceptional team. Uh, we have one exceptional person who, you know, for personal reasons is doing something else now. And I will probably continue to, to ring and badger that individual to come back <laughs> <laughs> for the years to come. And I'm sure you'll listen to this and understand who I'm talking about. But, you know, it, like real talent is, usually makes itself known as well. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really good approach and, and very good advice for anyone listening in. Um, cool. So like, I guess wrapping stuff up, Jason, I mean, if anyone's interested in um, downloading the app or just following kind of Young Planet and, and your journey, like where's best to follow you on social? Yeah, well, the best thing to do is download the app and use it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff on there if you're a parent particularly or if you want to declutter, you know, list it on there. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. We don't do a great deal on social media. Uh, we found that actually the audience was different to our user base. So, you know, we sort of a bit quiet on there, but um, download the app, use it, send us a message uh, in terms of the corporate journey, which is the wrong word for us, but the business journey, if you like, then uh, my profile or Young Planet's profile on LinkedIn is great. And the more the merrier. 100%. Well, it's been a really real great pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for coming on the show and um, all the best. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.